Max White, everyone. See something funny. It wasn't funny! I guess I'll just call it Max White Presents. I guess it's decent. Yeah, Max White Presents will work. We're, we're rolling now. We're going. We're, uh, we're here. There's no turning back. We're at Tenor Trap. We're in Greenpoint, Brooklyn with our very special guest, uh, Netherlands-born, uh, New York-based. Netherlands-raised, Florida. Ra All over. But I got to say your name first. It's Jared Waters. Oh, He's yeah. a comic. Yeah, yeah. So wait, so break it down. Where were you born then? I was born in the airport of uh, White Man, Missouri. White Air Man, Missouri. It's called White Man, Missouri Air okay. Force Base. And then uh, I proceeded to just bounce around state to state, country to country. And then I was... All my adolescence and my like, where I developed as a person was in the Netherlands. So you're a war baby. War baby, that's what they call us. You are too. Uh, no, my dad. I mean, everyone served in the military, but he was done by the time I came around. He so was yeah. stationed in uh, Patterson, New Jersey, and then his first marriage. <laughs> Patterson, yeah, no, 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 I'm not. No, I'm wrong. Not Patterson. What's the big base in Jersey? That's Air Force Base. I can't remember. I'm a bad son. Uh, it's been an hectic day, but uh, he was stationed there right before. It's not Fort Dix, is there? Not Fort Dix. I know Andrews is in Maryland. No, it's not there. Well, we'll figure it out. But uh, I should probably call my dad more is what that means. But it was like in his first <laughs> marriage. <laughs> it was in his first marriage. This is, this is BM before Max. So uh, he was stationed there. Then he came here. Um, what branch was he in? Air Force. Yeah, so was my which, dad. Air but Force. he was the first of his family to not be a Marine. So it was a big deal. He was a oh, pussy. Smart. Well, he was a smart dude. Yeah, that's that's what he looks like. Because he, I mean, back then, if you go to the Vietnam War Memorial in D.C., Literally, there's an entire area where it's all kids from his neighborhood that wow. died. And from in Detroit, they're just like, game over. You become like infantry, Marine. How dead. old is your dad? He was born in 50. So what oh. is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah so he's up that? there. Yeah, he's an old man for sure. What is that, 60? Is he 70 now? No, no. 70, 70 would be 2020. So I'm a bad he's son and bad at math. 67. When did he have you? 40-something? Uh, no, he was in his 30s still. He could Late he could still play catch. It wasn't totally broken. <laughs> I mean, maybe emotionally, but like, no, physically he could totally <laughs> toss the ball around. And he's like, he That's did have good. torn rotator's cuff, but, and, and he was right. shot, but the two aren't linked together. Oh, so he wasn't shot inside. He was shot interior. in Vietnam, but in the lower part of his body, not the play catch with your son's side. Yeah, my dad went to the Gulf War. Okay. It was the Gulf 91? War. 91? 91. Yeah. It was... He was in Saudi Arabia for like a year. Okay. Protecting the oil fields. It, maybe it wasn't the Gulf War. It was something happening. Before? Where, yeah. No, it was afterwards, like 94, 95. Well, there was Desert Shield, which is the original one. And then there was Desert Storm is when, you know, Schwarzkopf went in there. I think this was when George Bush was there. That, that was all 91, 94, yeah. 94. The, that's yeah, what it was. Okay. I remember he went cool. to Saudi Arabia. I remember I was like maybe seven. I don't know how old I was. <laughs> and then he left. And I was like, so when are you coming back? He's like, I'll be gone for a whole year. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was me, my brother, my two little sisters. And I was like, all right. Yeah, it's like, here we go. This is it. I, know, I, I didn't grow up with my dad being military, like, but my, like, I have a half-sister that did. And it was like a totally different life from when she was right. in her adolescence to when I came around. I was definitely the, you know, the young prince that moved away. Like, I, I didn't have to get dragged around fucking air bases. My baby sister... She grew up in the Netherlands pretty much all of her life, but she had to. She didn't know anything about America. She's like, "Yeah, you're going." I remember sometimes like, "Yeah, is Chicago in New York?" I was wow. like, "Wow, no. What are you talking about?" Then my brother's like, "She's have never grown up fully 
in America until she was like 15 or 16. Damn, I mean, no reason not to pick up a globe, but all right. I mean, I did. Right. Well, uh, I like mean, she can tell you anything about the Netherlands. This is like, this is her like, maybe like 10 or 11 saying that. Like, I'm, only, I'm only the bet, though, that a 10 or 11 uh, in terms of world affairs in the Netherlands is probably much more, uh, what's the word for it, up to date than your average 10 or 11 American. Yeah, uh, it might be a stalemate. It might be a tie. You think? I don't know. I witnessed this yesterday, though, because I went whale watching in Boston. I had shows all weekend in Boston. I went whale watching yesterday morning. Uh-huh. And after we went out and saw, dude, we saw, like, five whales. And we saw 60 to 100 dolphins, right, in the middle right. of the ocean. It was fucking awesome. They even said it was, like, a lot for – it never really happens like that. So, anyways, on the way back, there's an English kid and an English mom. And there's an American – kid and American dad and they were talking right which would normally be heartwarming right. then I listened to what the conversation was and basically you take this overweight young American kid I'm poor choppy I'm talking I mean he's a big boy big big dad too that's, and you, that's a big boy there. that's a big boy right that's there a big boy there. and uh and then you got the slender English mom and kid and then the uh dad the American dad is going what well, Y'all don't have gym in London? And, and the kid's like, well, we be, I'm not doing English accent for my listeners. But uh, he's just like, well, we, 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 play, we play football. He's like, oh, not American football. And then meanwhile, you know, young Wolfie Johnson, the boy who's American, is just scarfing down like high fructose corn syrup, blueberry muffin, <laughs> this gnarly orange concoction drink. And then it just it was really funny to see the difference. I think maybe England would more, but in the Netherlands, people are more just carefree about everything. Yeah, it's probably the most carefree place I've ever been to in my life, where people really don't care. They care, but they're very, they're very honest about how they f- care. Okay. So maybe like they'll say something rude to you, and they don't think anything of it. Like these two Dutch chicks I worked with, they told this black chick that I woke up, say, "You're very good for your skin. You're very good. Oh you work god. so hard." <laughs> oh my god! So this is, this they're is, now the ambassadors <laughs> to uh, Amsterdam for Trump. <laughs> so my. <laughs> A coworker at the time was like, I went to go talk to HR. And I was like, no, that's just where they're from inside the Netherlands. They're very open about how they feel. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, you're very kind. You're very, you don't talk as loud. And they just don't. Wow. <laughs> just just no a, filter. Huh? Right. So some of them are very open, very honest about everything else. So it's hard for them to like fake it a little bit. Yeah. Do you think there's value in that? Or do you think it's, uh, I mean, in like a more open society, do you think that there's a, uh, there's plus and minus to everything? But your yeah. own opinion. I think that it's good for. It was good for me because I, all my friends, I hold accountable to. So all okay. my friends, I'm like very blunt and very honest with them. But when I got here, I realized like I can't say everything I want to because a lot of people won't take it with the grain of salt that I mean it for. You know? Yeah, people are. Well, are you talking about here in the states or here in New York? I would say here in the states. I don't really, you know, I meet people here and there and stuff like that. Yeah. When I'm in New York, I really, if I don't know anyone that well, I'm not gonna. Unless they ask for my opinion, I'll give them my yeah. personal opinion. Yeah, New York, a lot of people are wrapped in it, like in mattresses. Like, they're really, they don't want to be fucked with at all. Like, that's a problem with me, because out of curiosity, if I'm bored sometimes, and if I'm okay. just, you know, it's like 2 a.m., I'm completely sober at a comedy show, and there's just someone talking, and they're asking my opinion, I'll just kind of fuck with them. And it's just, it goes both ways. I've definitely blown it before. <laughs> I've definitely, like, why would you even say it? Or like a day later, you get a Facebook message from some dude you don't even remember. It's yeah, just, it's like, hey, man, just, just, this is not the end for you. This is the end for you. Yeah, like, what? Like, I'm just joking. Nah, man, that hurt yeah, me. I just think it's time to part company. <laughs> uh, I just don't find the value in our friendship. It's like, whoa. All I said was that you probably didn't sleep with that girl you're claiming you did last night. And I was kidding. 
But sometimes you can feel it. I think sometimes in comics you can feel when someone's lying about a woman or yeah. when they're talking about having a lot of girls. I'm like, that is not how you approach women. Yeah. Unless you're a hypnotist. I think <laughs> I think the ultimate burn in the, from a heckler is when you set up a premise. Like, so yesterday I was on a date and they go, no, you weren't. Because it's <laughs> like, it just unravels the whole thing. But it doesn't mean it's not funny. But I think about that because like... Uh, I think a lot of people like like the best comic, not just here, but not the best person can be just totally unspooled by that. Like if you just fuck with them about the dating thing, like I guess that's what I've noticed here that a lot of a lot of comics in New York City they talk about themselves a lot. Yeah. So it's all about impersonal and everything else about myself. Rather down south, it's just like we don't give a f who you are right now. Yeah. Be funny first, then we'll listen to your father's stories. We'll okay. Listen to your mother's story, everything else. Yeah. Sometimes you just come off gate and you just start talking about stuff. See what I'm going through. And it's like, who is this girl telling us about her life? Who's yeah. this guy? We don't want to. This is not a therapy session. The girl that's like, uh, you know, yeah, I can think of one in particular that you're like, whoa, that's a, that's a but hell of a start. It's respect. Like, but here it's just like, I was like, oh, wow, they just get right into it. Like, forget this. Yeah. Forget the punch. Just go straight into it. So that's what a skill that I've learned. It's like, all right, I'm just going to dive into it. Forget that's smart. It. Yeah. I think here there's just no time for pleasantries because it only has a limit. limit amount of time you know and i think once you go back to the clubs too or a different market you're just like oh shit this is a whole other thing the girl i was just thinking about when you said that though was she just broken up with a guy we're at the creek and he was a comic like at the creek and she just like laid it out and it was like that was fucking awesome to watch i mean i was laughing i thought it was interesting i really do enjoy that when comics break up because i like their new jokes that they write about each other yeah it's amazing it's like a nice roast joke i was like but no one else is gonna get this but (laughs) It is very, very good for you to express. And, it's like, and by the way, I have herpes. <laughs> Dude, I fucked up. I made too many herpes jokes. All my friends to my... <laughs> I fucked up. I mean, Dude, listen to this shit. This happened to me today. I was just like... Uh, I was noticing on the mega bus um, to Boston that every single person around me had a cold sore. And I tweeted about it. And I was like, it's like the cold sore bus. And then my friends were bashing me back and forth on Twitter. Like, we were just like going back and forth. This morning, I'm shaving, not paying attention. I cut half my fucking lip off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One too many it. herpes jokes got that's me. Did not look like I have a cold sore. Never had one in my life. Now you got it. You're, uh, you're burped up. Herpelitis. <laughs> that, that fucking gonosif of herpes AIDS, right? You can't even say AIDS anymore here. You can say, I think you could say anything I do. you I'm want just saying, yeah. if you're a staple Meaning that if you have some type of statute to your name or anything else, they'll accept what you're saying because they're like, you have the credits to say what you want, which is sad. Oh, like a qualifying? Yeah, 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 yeah. but it feels like if you're not a person with these, with a credit or anything else, they're like, we don't know. We're not going to let this random person get away with his (laughs) either sexist or whatever side of views he's going. But if you have a type of name, you could be like, I'm going to say this. Yeah, that's interesting. Did you see they all the write-ups with all the new specials coming out between like Louis C.K. and uh, Chappelle and yeah. Schumer and all the write-ups? And then they just that one BuzzFeed article that came out a couple of days ago. I think it was BuzzFeed. It's, they're all the same to me. Um, but it was sorry, they are. It's like, but he didn't the the uh, the author. I believe it was a male. He didn't even take a point of view. He just repeated what Louis C.K. had said about the trans thing, and like over and over again, and just with an attempt to draw clicks and baits and stuff like that. It's like, oh man. It's uh, it's a really great time in comedy. It reminds me of that '90s era of rap, where like all these great albums were coming out. Well, probably right now, like just everybody's just dropping albums. It's like all these, everyone's dropping specials, and it's so great. I feel like sometimes, just like albums, we should take a while and really thoroughly watch them and thoroughly analyze them because totally. it's hard to call it a classic within like a week, unless you watched it 400 times. Yeah, and the people it'll make you feel different a week from now, it'll make you feel different a month from now. So it's just like. 
I wait. I was like, I watch it, then I'll watch it again. Then yeah. I'll take another step, I'll watch it, I'll come back to it. Or I'll hear the album. Sometimes the albums feel different than the actual special. That's how I feel about the new Drake albums. I can't like it right away. It takes me a few weeks to kind of get into it. I feel like Drake is, he's comp- it's, it's his own genre of music. Yeah. Meaning that it's not, I wouldn't say any of his albums are classics unless I'm comparing it to other Drake albums. That's very well spoken. I like that one. So people are like, Drake's albums are classic. I was like, yeah, to his other albums, yeah. But for me, it's just like, I think he's just putting out a lot of music to get off that label so he can do what he really wants. Yeah, that's interesting. Can you imagine being locked in? It's locked in in the best way possible, but still, like, that dude's everything right now. I I don't know how many deals he's signed for. I don't know how many. I that's think all it's YMCMB five, still, five right? Five albums. But, but he was connected through... Uh, Rap a lot records with Jay Prince and uh, oh, have you heard of Jay Prince? No, who's Jay. that? He's uh, this uh, pretty much the Suge Knight of Texas. What? Yeah. How do I not know this? Uh, I want to know. But. Jay Prince. He had Rap a lot records, Scarface, a lot of these guys out there. Yeah. He's the one that Floyd Mayweather in his first contract. He got Floyd Mayweather out of the Bob Arum contract. Are you serious? How do I not yeah. know about this? And so, wait, how is Drake involved with him? Is he gonna, is so he gonna get him son, out of the cash money? He has a son. His name is Jay Prince. His son's name is. Jazz. He always raps about this guy named Jazz. Yeah. So Jazz Prince is his son. And his son found Drake and introduced Drake to Wayne. And they signed like this thing where he gets like a percentage of it. But Birdman has never paid off Jay Prince or anything else. Jesus. It's like a modern day godfather. Houston rap. Houston rap's different. Houston, Texas rap is completely different than what else is going on. Yeah. So Jay Prince is out there. Uh, Ghetto Boys, you ever heard? Fuck yeah. I love He's the, the one. Boys. They're all signed as level. So you ever look at that Rap A Lot Records? Okay. He's the one that runs all of them. So, so, wait, so is he going to be with Drake after Drake goes, you think, and does whatever he does next? I think Drake will be independent. He might as well. <laughs> Could He's be. Just, he should be what Chance the Rapper is. He should just have a you streaming with yeah. streaming with Apple Music because he really doesn't need it. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what that kid, I mean, kid, whatever you want to say, what Drake has done. It's just like, versus being like, I'm not doing more music because I'm under a bad contract. He's like, I'm going to do so much music. <laughs> just yeah, that's what Future's doing. I'm going to put out so much music to I work myself out of this contract. Yeah, that's like the, it's, it's like a whole new approach. It's like that indie style of like, I'm just going to bust my ass out of like work your way out of it. It's it really so feels funny. like they're just dropping mixtapes. Yeah. But they're just, they're just selling them as albums. And his fan base is so huge. Like, we're going to buy them as albums. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes I have to listen to Drake, and I was like, he says some, sometimes he a lot of bars he throws. Out. I was like, whoa, okay, Drizzy, wow, you can really spit a little bit. I gained gained more respect for him when him and Meek Mill went at each other. Yeah, he put that the lights out pretty quick on that one. That was back hysterical. That, that was, was uh, uh, that was good. That's like the first good one I've heard in a long time since we were just talking about this, like the Eminem um, uh, Benzino one. Eminem Benzino, the Fifty Cent has the bestest records. Uh, he's got good ones. The back down. Uh, and he's making fun of Ja Rule. Yeah, that dude, he just obliterated Ja Rule. Like, that guy was so, it's just like that Get Richard Jai Trying movie. It's so funny. That guy the was old like. Old label, not just everyone. Everybody. Like, uh, what, what was the name of the Murder Inc.? Murder Inc. And I, then, rem- I remember Lloyd Banks, he's on a mixtape. He said, I guess I could be comparatively blind. He said, is it me or Ashanti's eyebrows thicker than mine? <laughs> <laughs> Remember Irv Gotti? Irv Gotti, yeah. It is really, it's, it's really that deep. That dude went to prison for tax evasion, didn't they? All? I think all of them went to Damn. prison. 50 Cent destroyed the whole label. Yeah, that's crazy. Imagine what that must have been like, just faking the funk for that long. And like, 
getting but, all I mean, the street they had, cred. they had a chance to destroy 50 Cent. They just ignored him. Yeah. Blown. So. You can't really do that. That's just like how Coke had a chance to buy Pepsi for a minimal amount back in the day. You really can't. How does that apply in comedy? Well, buy up your enemies? <laughs> go, well, go there's a pe- lot of comedians that have birthed. Like, I got Keenan Ivory Wayans. All those comedians underneath him, he didn't give them, sign them to, like, development deals and make them. Yeah, but all the Wayneses are still on the wall at the Broadway Comedy Club. With the, with, have you seen those timestamp photos? Yeah, I've never seen Sean do stand up. I've seen the oldest one do it. I've seen Marlon do it for a while. How was it? It's, it's just, he's still young. You can tell that he's young in yeah. stand up. So he's very, he, he's wild. It's like a, if he, he can do college crowds. Like he yeah. can really get college crowds excited. But like as I get older, I was like, I want more comedy that like, I want the writing, I want the aspect, I want the you creating something and me having the ability to think and be funny at the same time. So it's going to take him a while before he get, finds that part of himself. Is he actively seeking it out? Is he doing a lot of states? He does a lot of stand-up. Yeah, oh, he does wow. a lot. He's always out there doing stand-up. I love that show. The Wayne's Brothers. Still watching it. It's just so funny. I met him, in, a, <laughs> I met him in, a, in the airport, and I wasn't trying to get his autograph. I wanted to talk to his opener. Okay. Because his opener, his name is Mitch something. He's a like an Emmy writer, but he was the guy who says in Juice, remember the movie Juice? Yeah. He's the guy that goes, you got the juice now. Oh, that's funny. On the rooftop afterwards? Yeah, so it's, it's when him. When Bishop like, falls. <laughs> they're like all best friends since they're like 18. Oh, wow. So him, what's the main character's name? Not Tupac. Uh, oh, Omar Epps? Omar Epps, yeah. Marlon Wayans, and this guy Mitch. They're like best friends since high school. Damn. So they're all like in their thing, but Mitch is like the writer. So I'm trying to walk up to him, and then Mar- I'm like, I was like, I don't want to just, I was like, yo, man. And then Marlon's like, hey, I got to go, I got to go. Wow, dissed and you. He, and, yeah, dissed me. But we're on the same flight. So yeah. it's not like there's no first class. It's just a regular yeah, yeah. Southway flight. And I was like, hey, man, I just want to talk to you. I don't know about the other guy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and he's telling me about because Jeff Dye told me the story about, like, I told my friend the story about uh, how he said, you got the juice now. I think I was there when he said the story. Damn, why did Marlon get left out of juice? He was in fucking above the rim and looked like a candy ass in it. Remember that? Uh, y- yeah. I, I don't know what. Dwayne know. Martin. Remember Dwayne Martin? The Dwayne star Martin. of Above the Rim? He's yeah. the. He's married to uh, the chick that was in Martin. What? Tisha Campbell. Yeah. They He's married. married. They've been married for like 20 the years. The basketball player, Dwayne Martin. Dwayne Martin. That was a good movie. I like Above the Rim. Martin was a good show, too. He's an actor now. I know, I saw him in, like, he's in Down Periscope, <laughs> that movie with Kelsey yeah, Grammer from the 90s. That shit was tight. He's in that one. Uh, I guess it's just, I, I just like Googling everything and finding, like, backstories to it. Yeah, it's so amazing. I was just like, I think that Marlon and Sean together, they're, the, they're, they're great when they're together. Not yeah. stand-up-wise, but, like, coming up with ideas and movies and stuff, they're the best when they're together. But when they're apart, it's just weird when they're not together. Is that dude their real dad? Pops? No. Ever. No. Oh, who John is that guy? Yeah, that guy's so funny. He's in. Uh, have you seen the movie Boomerang? Boom. Oh yeah, so Boomerang. So you know when he's like, uh, he plays uh, David Allen Greer's dad in that, and he's like, you got to get lined up, and he opens up his jacket, and the inside of the lining of his suit coat, it's the same as his boxers. I think <laughs> like this shit is so rad. He was. He used to be a DJ. John Witherspoon. Detroit. What? Yep. He used to be a DJ in Detroit, and like Paul Mooney found him and started like. He started, I guess, him and Richard Pryor had this development deal at NBC. I read their books, and he was just like, I need you to find comics so we can shoot this show. So we got John Ritherspoon, he got the dude, he got Robin Williams, and uh, the guy from Everybody Loves Raymond, the big dude. Oh, I don't know his name, but I know you're talking about. The big dude, so he, like, yeah. scouted all them. Damn. I guess it's crazy how, because he said he used to be just a Detroit DJ. 
and he's like, he would just go out for acting gigs and everybody else. Like after the shows would crash, they're like, we're going back to do stand up. He goes, what? He goes, yeah, stand up. That's where we get all our money from. So they went back. So he started doing stand up. It's amazing how the world works. Once you see like how the ties get like gathered together, yeah. there's like a six degree separation works for civilians, but people in the like entertainment, it seems like it's like one or two. Yeah, it is separation. Uh, and it's, I guess, with technology, we've been able to find out effing everything, you know? So yeah, I, just, I, I get real weird with that stuff. I love it. Like, we were at this bar in Southie two days ago. Like, just, it's like supposedly one of the gnarliest bars in, like, Boston. It's like all, it says, like, fuck IRA on the wall. Like, right. real, real gnarly, like, Irish place. And we're there, and they're telling us Whitey Bulger stories in there because, like, we we're just trying to get the stories out of them. And then as we're, like, later, we're, like, on the in my Uber, I'm just Googling, like, where did Whitey Bulger bury bodies? Like, just looking for the neighborhoods. Like, I'm fascinated by all that stuff. And then even, like, what whale sanctuary are we going to? But, I mean, the, the amount of data that I use. Yeah, I do it when I work with the headliners. I'll just Google something that they wrote, and I was like, oh, let me go ahead and watch their last special. And they're like, oh, so I can have something to talk about. Ah, there's a process. Yeah, so I was just like, if we end up talking, I don't want to just sound like everything else. Sometimes I know that they like it when you appreciate their work and you can tell something about it, and then you can be like, oh, oh, this guy likes comedy. All right, yeah. cool, instead of just like, ah. Oh, I think like it's so much fun researching that stuff and finding out where people come from on that. What's, what's your thoughts in the school, the different schools of thought in terms of putting an album out or a special? Are you about to do an, like take a year, write new stuff, and then burn the material after you put the special out, or do you think you should keep it? I just read this quote by Jerry Seinfeld. I was reading that Judd Apatow book, uh, Brain Droppings. And, Wait, uh, Sick in the Head? Sick in the head. Yeah. Why did I say bro? What's brain droppings? <laughs> no, Isn't like, that Carlin? I was like, did you get a Netherlands version? What the hell is that? Brain, something else. I don't know. Maybe I'm having another book, Brain Droppings. Okay. But uh, he's interviewing Amy Schumer. And Amy Schumer said that Jerry Seinfeld tells her when they're sitting down, he goes, I don't know what's up with these young comics that are just burning material after they're done with them. Yeah. He says, 20% of the people that are coming to see you are your fans. The other 70% don't know who you are and not don't remember your jokes and the last 10 got free tickets that's so funny so he said instead of being on try to write a new hour he was like develop a great show and always give a great show and hit him with the greatest hits and stuff like that yeah it's interesting to hear that and then you hear like the chris rock like that talking funny thing they did with it, like they're both mm -hmm. talking about it. it's really funny to see that and then louis ck and then ricky gervais is in that and he has no business yeah, comically being in that one it's pretty amazing and they call not about it i think that's pretty cool yeah, he shouldn't. Uh, he shouldn't have been in that room. What comic would you say should have took his spot? Oh, that's a good question. What comic should have taken his spot in that one? DePaulo? Nick DePaulo? I mean, like, because everyone there is afraid of him. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. What, what, what do you think? I would say Dave. Damn, that'd be amazing. He's a great interviewer too. Did you that see one. that shit in um the inside the actor studio when he interviewed yeah. James Lipton? It, those yeah. aren't on YouTube anymore. I can't find them anywhere. What? I just saw. Well, maybe I, mean, I remember James I Lipton when he's reading the book. Yeah. Interviewing James, actually, really good. He's so funny when like Chappelle like called him on speakerphone at one of his shows. What? What? Else? Is James Lipton dead? No, he's still around. He's he still, still did the show. I think he's the dean of students at Pace still, whatever. Um, Pace or, no, sorry, or inside the actor studio. Yeah. Or, or, that show still comes on. I don't know. I don't have cable. We should find out. We Google that right now. We'll yeah, Google that it. That was a good show. We find it. Had some good ones. You're going Dave. Anyone else besides Chappelle that you'd have uh, host that? I would put Dave in it, uh, and I would add Jerry Seinfeld. No, Jerry Seinfeld's already there. I would say uh, I would have put Joan Rivers in it. Damn, that would be really... Damn. Get her perspective on it. I had the weirdest... I had this weird ego thing where I always think when famous people die, I'm like, oh, I, I thought I would have met them. 
You yeah. know what I mean? And Joan Rivers was one, and Don Rickles. I, I had a chance to go to Don Rickles' show when I was in uh, Tampa, and I didn't because I had a gig that night. But it was him and, what's the, Regis and Kelly. Him and Regis. But that's what I was talking to. His, his name is Joey Cola. Uh, if you ever watch Crashing, you watch Crashing? Yeah. So the scene they wrote about him being a warm-up comic. Yeah. It was about this comic named Joey Cola. He's Whoa. a warm-up comic for Rachel. Ray, yeah. And he's been there the longest or whatever. Oh, was that him in the show? That's not him in the show. Oh, okay. They just, just like, portrayed him? It, right. But just saying, like, what if? But he's like, he's, he has to be clean. It's super funny. I just worked with him last night. And um, he was, uh, what did we say? What did we just say? We were talking about crashing. He's a warm up comic for Ray. You don't even smoke weed, Jerry. What's wrong? No, but I was thinking. I, I was thinking because he, he was telling me something. I just thought about what he just said. And I didn't want to bring that up. Uh, oh, it was about Joan Rivers. Okay, that I wanted to meet her. I thought Don I would Rickles. Meet her. That's yeah. what we're talking about. Don Rickles. So I was asking him. I was like, "Have you realized Don Rickles has never had an interview where someone picked his brain out for an hour?" Yeah. And he didn't, he was thinking, he's like, oh, he's, there's a lot of, I was like, yeah, there's all these Sinatra stories. There's all these Johnny Carson stories. I said, but he's the only comic that lived through comedy developing. You started in the 50s. You can tell us what happened with the Jerry Lewis, what happened when Richard Pryor came. Yeah. What was it like with Red Fox? What was it like with Dangerfield? I'm pretty sure he had so many boatloads of stories. I think those guys, though, keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I'm just I, like that. I was like, yeah, I get it. We, Frank Sinatra is a great person. We get it. Yes, he's not a comic, though. I think they subscribe. I think those guys subscribe to the thing of like, uh, just stories aren't allowed. Like, like actual ones that are like opinions. It's like that Dean Martin quote uh, you have to have deep feelings to have deep thoughts. Right. Something that like it's just like an old school thing where it's like, why do you want to talk about me? That's not interesting. Let's talk about this over here. But I mean, that's good. He could talk about comedy. He can talk. Oh, about I'm comedy. not saying I wouldn't want right. to see it, but yeah, but that's why. And I think I mean, it'd be pretty hard to nail that guy down in an interview. I thought Someone, Mark Maron would finally do it. I've either thought Maron would do it, or I think. Uh, do you think that would even work? Do you think Rickles would even sit with that dude? I want to know why people hate Mark Maron so much. I want to know what... He was just a dick to people by his own... I mean, just some of the videos I've seen, and not that I obviously, you know, but from everything I've read from Maron, he just was like a nightmare. Yeah, so like now, I can understand why a lot of people don't sit... But there's other people that could do podcasts. They could just pick his brain yeah. for an hour. But I think like if a young comic came up to Don Rickles and just asked him, like, what was it like when Richard Pryor came? What was it like? Because I read his book, yeah. and he said that Don Rickles is the reason why Richard Pryor changed his act. Really? Because Richard Pryor was doing Vegas, and he got off the stage, and Don Rickles was like, that was great. You're just like another Bill Cosby. Oh, wow. And they said Richard was like, what? And yeah, he's just like, he's brilliant, like Cosby. Oh, and man. And that's when he changed. Well, he did other stuff and changed. Yeah. Like, but Don Rickles was the one that said, like, it was great. You're like another Cosby. Damn. That's great. Side note, the Cosby thing, I think it's so funny how Cosby went around calling all the black comics and, like, telling them they need to clean up their act for the sake of, like, you know, like the the betterment of the African American entertainer and all this shit, and then come to find out that this creepy fucking dude was on the slide the entire time. And there's a comic in Charlotte named Carlos Valencia. Do you know him? Carlos Valencia, no. Fucking amazing. Like I I I posted for him. He was just oh, no, he was a feature uh, in Michigan, but he was like uh, Doug Stanhope's opener. Oh, uh, went to her. Yeah, he's but he has this joke about I don't want to ruin it, but he, his ender is basically the effect of like. The more rape jokes a comic tells is probably the less chance he has of raping him. And like the end is like, how many did Cosby tell? Like zero. <laughs> he told one. Oh, oh, that's right about the Spanish fly Spanish thing. Fly. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Well, if he doesn't get arrested, then it's all the allegations. Then. Well, I mean, money talks. Come on. 
Uh, I don't know. He's already paid this chick off, so I don't know. But, but he has a special dropping. He has like two Wait, specials. Who? Bill Cosby. No way. Yes, he did. He shot They're a special. coming out? Oh, well, before all this shit happened, but no one will carry it, right? Is it, I'm pretty sure if he went to London, nobody would care about his act. Before it nobody got, knows over there. When I was there, like seriously, nobody knows. Because like, I heard an American comic talk about over there, and he had to like inform the crowd. Like, you guys have heard about Cosby, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, we heard something. That's pretty They don't care. It's yeah. about, over in, in Europe, it's all about the arts. Like, if you're yeah. a real artist, that's why freaking... Polanski. They all go over there. Just yeah. go over there. Bill Cosby really wanted to continue his career. He would leave America and just go to England. Go Roman Polanski style, just like just go stay go away from the country that wants to indict you. Even go to Australia. He can go to all these other countries and do stand up and learn how to be the. He can be the stand up king of comedy over there in England. I think he's got like a year left before he dies, though. How much physical pain could you take? That guy isn't he blind now? He, no, he's not blind. Well, I mean, he's trying to make it. You know, <laughs> whatever. I guess you're trying to be blind, but I guess he never thought in a million years this would happen. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, where can you go from here? Him? Do you really want to die? Oh, if you good. really enjoy life, you have $300 million. Yeah. You can still live a good life. But. You just have to live in the shadows. You Like, what a dark night. What happens when the hero. Yeah. But I don't know, man. Dark dark enough. night didn't carry like 40 some rape cases. It didn't. But so, well. I'm know, just saying. You have to wait till everything's done. I mean, it's really bad. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think it's ever going to get done because good attorneys will just keep pushing it back and back and back. And the bottom, I mean, I just, just the irony alone is what's so funny to me. If he doesn't go to jail, well, I, I hear that he still writes jokes for people. Yes. Oh, for people? I didn't yeah. know that. Nice. I think there was one time I listened to Chris Rock and he said Cosby like sent him a joke. He goes, I don't do politics. You do. So maybe you could do something with it. That's sweet. So I guess like, I don't know. It's it's very weird for people to to take it as, as I don't know. It's always hard to take away what you've done compared to your great work. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the guy is still like, you know, probably one of the best comedians ever, but doesn't mean that he's not a piece of shit. I mean, they took it. him off the CNN like talking about comedy. They didn't even mention him. Oh, I'm sure they couldn't. I mean, that's just PC. They can't talk about anyone if they, they couldn't let certain comics wear certain brands of shoes on their specials yeah, recently. That's freaking stupid. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, the, the body of work has nothing to do with the person that they are, though. I mean, that's just art. And if you don't get that, it's almost like you can't ex you can't explain it to somebody. It's like explaining the ocean to someone that's never seen it. You Some know? comic is going to take Cosby and do a great podcast with him for like two and a half hours. They're probably not going to mention the rape stuff. And when he does, they're going to unleash it because he's seen comedy yeah. and he's changed this. I, I think I was listening to Gerard Carmichael say that he met Bill Cosby, I guess, before everything broke. And he, Bill Cosby's given advice about his TV show yeah, and telling him about like caring for it and how not to do and everything else. They said like he's he tries to help, but he's, you know, he's old. It's like an old, different way of show business. But where is that baseline wise? So if the guy that's trying to help you look out for your show is, you know, uh, you know, uh, an alleged sexual this was before i mean it's just well i mean he was still doing the shit though i'm saying like do you right. look back at that okay so if your neighbor gives you great advice growing up and make sure you don't fall out of the sandbox and stuff like that but then come to find out he's got bodies in the basement right or or let's just say he does the exact same thing he likes to drug women and sleep with them and then pay them off when they get busted for it right. would that change your would you change how you look at the advice it would change how you view the person, but if yeah. that advice got you a couple specials and changed your life around, it's it's weird. Yeah. It's like when I'm listening to like all these other comics talk about how Bill, Co how and people talking about how much he's done for him and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, well, it sucks, but he's never done anything for me, so I have no allegiance to him. Yeah, it's crazy too about the, like the Hannibal Burris thing when like he keeps getting like by you know his own admission. He's like, do people keep like 
telling me I'm the one that did it. It's like, I just told people to Google something that's been out there forever. It sucks because it sucks because his stand-up was not, it propelled him to a different place, but I feel like he was going to be that eventually. Like oh. his stand-up was, like his name was going to be bigger yeah. eventually. But now it's like a asterisk towards his name. Totally. Yeah, it'd be weird to be like, uh, I mean, dude's one of my 30 favorites. years from now, they're yeah. still going to ask him, what was it like taking down Bill Cosby? Yeah. Just like, how many specials have you dropped? How many everything else? That'd be so weird. That'd be so weird to be Sucks like, to be him. all I did was, yeah, all I did was tell people where to look online. Actually, Jamie Foxx said something about Bill Cosby one time, and David Letterman shut him down on the TV show. What happened? Uh, Bill Cosby said something about pulling your pants up, and Jamie Foxx said something about, well, guess whose pants is on the ground now? Or something about that. And oh, then wow. Dave was like, oh, oh, no, 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 and stopped it. They have like this old code within comics where it was just like they all protect each other. Yeah. You know? So Damn. Was, and so Jimmy Foxx came in and got shut down for it. That's David Letterman. It's like that with uh, Jimmy Walker. All these old comics, Gallagher, all of them, they have this bond with Letterman. And Letterman will always bring them on the show so they can get work. Did you hear that Gallagher uh, Mark Marin episode when he walks off? <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a good Gallagher one with Patrice O'Neill's interviewing Gallagher, and he's calling him by his real name. He's like, "All right, Vern, Vern, listen to me, Vern. I like your stuff. Why did you just smash fruit? Did you <laughs> cut?" The, he's like, "Without the fruit stuff, you're talking about some great stuff." That's you know, he had a twin brother that did half the gigs. Is that true? He took yeah, his twin brother's the one inside the Geico commercials. That's so crazy. He lives in Florida. He lives in Plant. He grew up in Plant City, Florida. Plant City's like maybe 30 minutes from Tampa. So sometimes he would just drop in. So the clubs that you're working at, he would not just drop clubs, in? Not the clubs, not the clubs. Like he'll go to like, a, it was like driving by open mic. It's on YouTube. Some kid was doing open mic, and he was bombing. And Gallagher comes up and takes the microphone for him and goes, you got to have more passion. Here, let me show you how to tell a joke. Bang, 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 hits, then passes the mic back to him. He goes, all right, now it's your turn. Holy and he comes shit. Back, you're not doing it right. Come on, start it over again. <laughs> what was Gallagher's jokes about? He, it was actually pretty funny. Do you know one Gallagher joke? No. I know one of them was like politics. He said some really deep stuff, but he would just jump up and down, so you wouldn't even yeah, take it seriously. Yeah, I can't so see past those pants. Politics and everything else. But uh, he sold his act to his brother, and his brother started doing stand-up. His brother got good at stand-up, yeah. and he told his brother to stop, and his brother was like, my name's technically Gallagher, so I can freaking do this. Holy shit. I didn't know any of that was going on. So what's old Gallagher do now? Does he have money he still? He does stand-up, yeah. He's old. You can tell the old difference because he's old and fat now. So he has a gray hair and a big belly. But the one in the guy commercial is like really skinny. Damn. So they did probably don't talk and it's all like contemptuous. They should talk. They're brothers. I know. Come on, Gallagher. Like get, said, it together. get it together. You freaking, so what? You developed and became a comic. Your brother gave you his act because he was tired of going on the road, which is lazy. So his brother, they were just conquering everything else. I guess he had to give a portion to his brother. Wow. But eventually when they stopped, he goes, you know what? I think I want to do stand-up. I'm pretty good at this. Is it weird that... He it, did take his closer, which is effed up. He should have got his own closer. Is it weird that comics, it was like very known that back in the day, like comics used to buy other people's bits? Like Robin Williams is known for it. Well, uh, he had to buy them because he was stealing them. Yep. And then Dennis Leary would buy Still stuff too. Yeah, he'd buy it or take Bill Hicks's. And he took it and he get money afterwards. Is what I had heard from the other podcasts I listened to. A lot of comics I've, I've I've heard mentioned it. There's like a whole. Can you imagine that though? You like you write a joke and then you sell it to somebody. Like here you go, you can use it. I had like this one liner. Uh, yeah, I can imagine that. I had this one liner that I like, got not even one liner comic, but I had it and it's like really shitty headliner came up to me and he's like, "You sell it to late night yet?" And I was like, "No." 
I mean, I was like doing open mics. Like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I know. He's like, we should do it. Someone's going to take it. And it kind of came off as a threat. And I just kind of walked away. I was like, all right. And just walked away. I would I would write for somebody. I've I've written for some of my friends before, giving them bits. and Not yeah. bits, but like they have like an idea and we write on it. And I was just like, yeah. I'll just, yeah. I mean, that's cool. Like, like, that. like to work in like that, that capacity. But in terms of like. Just like, hey, here's this act. I'm going to buy it. I heard the story that Jeff Foxworthy, that whole, it might be a redneck is, was a ghostwriter. I don't know if it's true. I think that guy's incredible what he does, but I just, that's just what I heard. Man. What, what is it? What? I mean, Paul Mooney gave Richard Pryor ideas. That's a good point. Well, in the book, in the book, he said he just gave him one chick so bad I suck her daddy's dick. <laughs> so Paul Mooney gave that joke to Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor started laughing. And then Biggie Smalls took the joke and said it in his in his raps. Did you ever see Paul Mooney live? No, I heard he's retiring. I heard that it's it's about to be the end for him. Does he live here? No, f no. Oh. I think he probably lives in like North Carolina or something. Oh damn, really? That's pretty crazy. That when Chappelle brought him on that show and it was like resurgent. Oh my god, people were like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" And then afterwards, they're like, "I can't believe I didn't know who the fuck the guy was." This shit. The Ask a Black Guy is like the funniest sketch. He wrote the iconic sketch of Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase in SNL. They're doing the interview. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. He wrote that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. So he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of, you know, a lot of penmanship behind him. That one, uh, what's his other comic's name? Uh, Robert Klein. Yeah. Barry Crim. I met Barry Crimmins at the Creek. That, have you, oh, recently? Uh, Yeah, maybe like. Maybe like four months ago. Have you heard that Kevin Hart podcast with him? Kevin Hart and Barry Crimmins? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's not Barry Crimmins. I was thinking Barry Katz. My bad. Keep going. Barry Crimmins. Barry Katz is his own podcast? Yep. It's called Industrial something. The industri- industry industry standard. Something like that. Sorry. Like Barry Crimmins, though. That special was amazing. Yeah. Uh, he goes. It was a good thing we had internet. So me and this comic, his name is Herbie. He's from North Carolina. He's from D.C., but his girlfriend Herbie Gill. Herbie Gill. Yeah. Yeah. Herbie, yeah. The Herbster. So yeah, his girlfriend's from North Carolina, so we just like this first we just crossed each other open mics, but we just had like a conversation. They're super cool people. So we're talking, and then Barry Crimmins is sitting at the bar, and we're just like, is that freaking? So he comes up, I was like, What's up, young man? He goes, Me, young. <laughs> yeah. So next you know, Barry's just shooting off all this stuff, and then I'm adding everything else. And he said something like, How do you guys know who I am? I was like, Yeah, you're the reason why Jared Fogel got locked up. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> and he just he giggled, he giggled a little bit. And then he's talking about like here, add me on Facebook and everything else. And he's talking about comedy. And I was like, you, I was like, you've hit a, I was like, you've been re- reinserged back into the community, man. Yeah. And I was just like, I wish. I just hang at the creek. Fuck yeah, yeah, he was down there just drinking. Cause he's like, let me buy you a drink. I was like, I don't drink. But I was like, yeah, let me get a, let me get a double shot of uh, Sprite, uh, clean. <laughs> and he's like, okay, cool. And then Herbie, he knew so much. So Herbie was uh, giving him all the old stories and cocking back and everything else. Yeah. So he was just so happy that we recognized him and everything. That's amazing. Herbie's from Michigan. Or has some Michigan ties. He is? That's where I met him down there. I met him in Michigan. I know he gets on the road a lot. Yeah. I know. It's like, I think he maybe be, maybe lived in Detroit for a spell. I could be wrong, but I, definitely a nice guy. Funny guy, too. Bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn, that Greg Herman story is crazy. You never know who you're going to find at a bar at a comedy club in this town. You never know. But it's just like, especially with comics, it's just like the comedians remind me of like old wrestlers. Okay. So like with wrestlers, it doesn't matter where you see them. They're happy that you acknowledge them. Yeah, that for sure. 
So it's just like my brother, we met Scott Hall before, and Scott Hall sat with my brother for three hours. I had to leave three hours about the business and everything else. And no one knew who he was. He's kind of chubby, but I was like, hey, man, I think that's Scott Hall. He Whoa. Goes, yeah, and next thing I was like, and he takes out his toothpick. He's like, hey, yo. And then <laughs> Damn. tell us about Kevin Nash. and Where was that at? It was in the Tampa airport. Why is pro wrestling? Like, I'm not a pro wrestling fan. It's huge in Tampa. Tampa's like where they train at. It's like the Florida it, ground they, wrestling. Uh, where I box over here at Gleason's, man. Like, you go uh, randomly. Like, one day, my friend Eric was a trainer there. Like, I went in there, and they were prepping one of the rings and doing something different to the ropes. And then all these dudes came in, and it was all the WWE guys. And, like, a lot of my comic friends here are, like, massive WrestleMania fans. Like, like crazy wrestler. Uh, WWE. I used to love wrestling until I moved here. After I met, like, fanatic fans. And they just, they take the joy out of it for me. Do they? They're just, like, getting all personal. Like, talking about the different writers. I was like, can't we just enjoy it, man? Like, freaking. Nope. Nothing here. <laughs> nothing here is free of analysis. I was like, man. So, what this podcast, this guy, his name is his comic. His name Anthony D. Domenico. Super okay. cool guy. He's out in Long Island. And he does a podcast, and he hooked me up with this podcast, something to wrestle with with Bruce Pritchett. And it's everything I need in wrestling. It's like a guy who wrote for wrestling, and he's telling you all the stories behind the scenes. Okay. So it's a super great podcast talking about what Roddy Piper was like and everything Damn. else. So it's just like I think the reason why wrestling is so huge is because back in the 70s and like 80s, there was this deal in TV where they're like this open slot, and nobody would take it because no one thought that no one would watch TV from like 6 to like 9 or something. Okay. So... NWA, this old Southern network, talked the slot. So it's like Ric Flair and all these guys doing primetime wrestling for like three hours every night. So our grandf our dads were probably watching that. Yeah. And the dads passed it down to the kids. Like even my freaking kindergarten class, they're like huge freaking John Cena fans or freaking huge Roman Reigns fans. I'm like, how are you guys still into wrestling? Uh, who's this? But it's like dads. It's like my dad can tell me about wrestlers. And then I, I remember yeah. watching wrestling because it's like you're sitting in the house. We couldn't go outside. It's 9 o'clock at night. Wrestling time. I just remember like Hulk Hogan and then um, being like just like an everywhere presence. And then like uh, Sergeant Slaughter being like the heel and like the bad guy that everybody knew way back in the day. And like all that stuff. And like Roddy, Roddy, like our, uh, um, Roddy, Roddy Piper. Macho Man was just like this insane idea in my head. Man, favorite, one of my favorites. Have you ever Macho tried to look Man. at that guy though? Like, like in his prime? Like, like just look at him. It, it's like it's insane. Oh yeah, dude. Just like looking at his face and me not being a wrestling fan here, it, dude. It precludes you from so many like parties in this town with the comics. Because I know like my best friend, I love him that Brandon Scott Wolf, one of my favorite guys I've met since I've lived here, um, is a huge wrestling fan, and he's always like, "Dude, WrestleMania's on." I'm like, "Not coming," but like I'm sure you'll have a blast. Like. I'll either watch it on Periscope, stuff like that, yeah. or watch it free and stream it. It's, uh, I don't like talking about current wrestling. I feel like any wrestling reference you make in a show, people are going to get. If you make it from like the 80s okay. to the 90s, people will get a wrestling reference. They'll get a rock impression. They'll get Stone Cold. They'll get all the big pop yeah. stars. Now it's just people like they won't get the new guys or anything else. They're a, doing wrestling bits. There's a comic where I'm from that has a Chris Benoit joke, and he goes, all of this is like... <laughs> Okay. He goes, uh, Chris Benoit, that whole thing is like, his family, they're idiots for not tapping out. <laughs> I've seen him like this. Just, just destroy Jeez a room. Louise. I can't remember the Jordan or Bustler's joke. Oh, man, I can't remember. I'm sorry, guys, you're going to listen to this and not know, but uh, it's so. Very steroid. I had a wrestling coach. His name was, I forgot his name, but his, his wrestling name was Panama Jack McGee. He won like the hardcore title. 
back in the day. So I lived in Tokyo, and we were on the wrestling team, and he kept talking, because we always play wrestle before. And he goes, you want to know how to throw a punch, son? And I was just like, what do you know about wrestling? Yeah. You're obviously 400 pounds and out of weight. You've never held any titles. Because <laughs> like, my first wrestling match ever, I cut up a cardboard and made a championship belt in art class. I was like, my first wrestling meet. Damn. How arrogant was I to like, take it? I went, got it. I, was, I went to the cafeteria, got a cardboard box, cut it in a round of a belt, went to art class, and I'm like painting it the whole time, gold and everything else. And I got <laughs> lost so bad. Damn. <laughs> I lost so bad. And then my wrestling coach was all like, yeah, I thought it was cool when you brought the belt, huh? Now you don't want to hold it, huh? I was like, yeah, you're right. It's like, put it back. So I didn't, so I've never, so that was my first wrestling match I did that. And like, I, I was pissed that I lost. So I like threw the belt somewhere and uh, he brought the belt on the bus. I was like, see, I thought this was a cool idea. It's not fun. You want to learn how to really hold the title? He's like, let's come to practice. So when I did win the wrestling championship my senior year, I got docked two points and I got suspended for like, like the first week of spring sports because when I won, I took out a real WWE replica belt and held it up in the air. Ooh, that I, was like a high school wrestling championship? Damn. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah. Damn. And then the guy, I remember the guy was all like, Jared Waters bringing gold of his own. <laughs> <laughs> You're 160 champion. So it was just like, they wrote it in the paper. This is like Jared Waters, a doc for unsportsmanlike conduct. He brought a WWE replica belt out. Who wants to be a stand-up comedian when he gets older? Oh, you knew back then? Yeah, I knew since like maybe since I was a child. Oh wow! When I lived in Dallas, my father—I remember my—we had two TVs. That someone gave us an old TV, and we had a new TV. And the way the house was set up, it was like two spaces, so we just had two TVs on the side. Okay. So um. I guess we would just watch Sanford and Son all the time. Okay. And we'd just be freaking laughing all the time. Then I remember I was stayed watching and I was like, I remember they watched they showed like his Eddie Murphy Saturday Night Live highlight clips. And I was just like, I'm just gonna record it with a VCR. So I recorded that. Then I was just always just a fan of just funny stuff. So then the DVDs came out, what, two thousand two, two thousand two thousand two, I think when DVD started coming out. Yeah. And they were putting seasons out. <coughs> so I remember they put out the season of Sanford and Son. So every four months, my dad, my brother, we stay up and watch Sanford and Son. It's freaking laughing. And then Napster was big. So I downloaded every single comedian I knew and downloaded all this stuff. And I would just listen to it all the time. God, I miss Napster. I remember I downloaded all, well, I downloaded all this. Before, I was so young, because I was just like, maybe, because I didn't, I was like, maybe I have to be like these other comics. So I downloaded all the Def Jam stuff. I was like, man, this stuff is so filthy. God, oh, man, yeah. So filthy. Well, that's what I want to talk about, too, is like, you don't swear, you don't drink, you don't do drugs. Yeah. Has that always been that way? And you're also, you're a man of God? Uh, it is that, started, is that a proper started, Yeah, I'm a man of God, religious man, faith. I would say that it started maybe like when I was like tw 14, because I remember I did curse a lot. Yeah. Lot, but I realized it wasn't me. I was just, you know, just act, you just mimic people that you're sure. around. So most of the time, I would always curse because I heard comedians curse, and I was like, this is what I got to do. Yeah. And then I realized, I think I was watching something. I was like, if you don't curse around your mother, you shouldn't curse like that. So, like, when I was like 14, I just, 15, I just stopped completely. That's uh, just stopped completely. I was like, no. I, I had did, I did drink in college. I didn't drink a lot, but I was just, I grew up in the Netherlands, so it's a wild place. So everything yeah. that was there, I've tried and I've done pretty much everything. But I was just always the guy that 
I had friends that were wild, and I was like, I would just get them to do whatever I wanted them to do. <laughs> Use the other people as tools. So I'll just be like, all right, we was hanging out at my friend's house. I was like, we're going cow tip in the night. And they're like, F it, let's do it. I was like, you guys serious? Like, yeah. So we all jumped this barbed wire fence, and I was like, I was like, man, I don't know, man. I don't think cows are just pitch black. And the dude's like, this is just a black cow. And I was like, no, man, I don't think it's a black cow. And it's dark too. I was like, dude. So we so we go over there, and my friend, I was like, well, you push it first. So we push it, and it's a bull, and he turns around, and you just hear, Oh, my God. So everyone sprints away. And one of my friends, I just remember I tripped him, and he fell down. Wait, while you're running from a bull? I tripped him and fell down. He's a young guy from Canada. And he was so pissed. He was like, what the freak, J-Red? And I was like, look, man, in life, only one can survive. (laughs) It's like you don't have to be the fastest. He's got to be faster than the slowest guy. Super young. So it was like a wild wild place. So it was just like... Most of everything I got into is because of my friends were just wild. And I was like, whatever I was up for, they were game too. But I was just like, I knew, I just always, like my conscience, like I knew something was wrong. So like I've, I think I only blacked out maybe one time during spring break. But I was very aware of everything. Yeah. So like sometimes like I'll have a house party in college. I think I was a senior. And I got a freshman roommate. Some dude that was like 19 years old. And he'd never been out of his house before. So he's like oh, blasting shit. music, rapping and everything else. I was like, dude, man, I got to go to my internship. I was like, but if you just, if you're quiet for a week, I'll throw a party with you, man. Yeah. So we threw a party. And he goes, since you're the only one that could buy alcohol, buy alcohol. I was like, well, I don't know what the F and get. What do you just? I was like, all right, I'll just buy some Everclear. <laughs> nice. Put the party down quick. <laughs> so I bought it. And then, like, they didn't know. I didn't even mix any of the alcohol. I just took regular soda, mixed it together, and I was chopping up my, like, uh, Zyrtec medicine and like dumping it. Oh man, he's lacing it up. Oh, we're about to get effed up in here. Damn. So, all these people were pretending that they're drunk for like two hours and they didn't realize it was just my allergy medicine, <laughs> a couple bottles of Flonase. Oh, <laughs> fucking nerd. They were just all effed up about it. And I was like, these guys just think they're just drinking. They just really think. So, the, the party was, he's like, all right, man. So, they're charging people $5 to get in the party, yeah. $3 to drink. Okay. So our whole place is full. I locked my door, everything else. Yeah. So they're charging everything. So I was like, I'll just man the drinks. So I was like, I bet these fugazis aren't even going to give me any of this money. And after I made all the drinks, they're probably just going to give me the money I bought for the for the thing. So after and he goes, all right, man, you bought $40 worth of drinks, so we're going to give you 50 for all your partnership, right? But they didn't know I was putting half of the money in the microwave. So every time I would take someone's five, I was like, here's two for me and two for the house. <laughs> So then at the end, I was like, man, I made like $300 this night at the party. Then he's like, dude, we made like $300, man. What a great party. He goes, next time we're going to split it up the even way. I was like, all right, let's do it the even way. Did you do it again? Yep, still did it. I was like, you freaking guys aren't going to pull a thing on me. I was like, I built everything. And then did, so, you, did you keep dividing the money up to that time? Right in the microwave. I did it because I had to wait because I was like, oh, man, the microwave's broken. Like, oh, dang, man, someone broke our microwave. I was like, yeah, someone broke our microwave. Damn, and that's classic like, yeah, Tom Foley. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I'm going to roof you me. with my uh, nasal medication. I was like, what are they, like, people are saying how drunk they were. I was like, they're just drunk off Sunny D. They're just like, oh, man, this freaking mimosa that you made. I was like, I didn't Ugh. even know what mimosa was. I was like, yeah, yeah, man. They're like, yeah, J-Rat's mixing it up. I'm a fucking so proud to be from Michigan where people drink and, like, from a family of drinkers because, damn it, I would never fall for that shit. If you wouldn't, but freaking it, people that are, like, oh, 20. Oh, groupthink is so fucking powerful. But I was like, okay, so I, when I was 10 years old, I hung out with 16-year-old kids. It was very common in skateboarding. So when I went to college, I started college when I was 17, and I remember being very cultured, let's just say, in the party arts. And I'd go to these parties where you see these kids that, 
you know, they're like, you know, sheltered, super sheltered kids. You'd see them within like a week fucking kicked out of school. I mean, I got kicked out of school, but for different things. But like, you would literally just be like, you would just see them while out. Like no, no sense of preservation, like blackout, pass out in the middle of the floor, people kicking them and shit, pouring <laughs> beer on them, slapping dicks in their face, like all types of awful things. And they're like, I, I went through a boot camp of partying because I had older people that cared about me. Right. Um, I remember like house parties though. We used to do this thing where uh, these older guys we had this house called Sugarloaf House, and uh, they taught me this rule: uh, you charge five dollars to come in, no matter who you are. And then there's a keg downstairs, right? Often numerous kegs. But what these guys would do was uh, they couldn't pay rent, which is very common in the month. They would drive around looking for groups of freshmen, right? Like, hey. And then they would be like, "Hey, you guys want to go party? Sugarloaf House is going down." And then they would charge five dollars to everybody. They'd go get a keg of beer, and then they'd let them drink for about a half hour. And then they called. They'd have me call the police on themselves. <laughs> Cops would come like, "Ah, I gotta break it up. Sorry, guys." So the fucking little pissant eighteen-year-olds that drank maybe one and a half beers each, maybe in their dates. So you're figuring maybe <laughs> one one eighteenth of the barrel's gone, and now all of a sudden we, we've got money, we've got beer, we've got an empty house, and then we call over our real friends. That's how I knew my roommate was really scared. He some real gangsters showed up. Greenville, North Carolina is a very crazy place. It's like, this is East Carolina, and then there's like the freaking hood. Okay. So, so we're at the party. He goes, all right, dude, I'm about to call the cops. I said, what happened? He goes, we're shutting the party down. It's 2 a.m. It's time for them to go. <laughs> you called the cops. That's like. He's sitting there talking, hey, there's these guys downstairs. They're just really aggressive. It's like three blacks. And, well, there's like 400 black guys. Oh, my <laughs> Next God. Next you know it. There's like party. Everyone leaves and everything else. And then I was like, wow, I was really smart of you to do that. Yeah. But it was like, I think I was like seven. I, 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 went, I, I was always a grade ahead. So when I went to college, I was 17. Yeah, same. So I really couldn't go to like the clubs and stuff like that. So. I realized, like, I was just one time like, I was drinking. I was like, man, why am I freaking doing this? Like, I can do this in the Netherlands anytime I want. Yeah. So well, you why? had a different appreciation for it. Right. And I was just like, it's, this is, this is, I'd rather be clear minded at all times. I don't like the feeling of like not knowing what's going on. And I do, I feel like I have a great memory. Yeah. Some stuff. I was like, I did what? What? Oh, this yeah. Isn't, this isn't the way I was supposed to be. That's a weird thing. I freaking, I freaking hate thieves. They're the worst. I freaking hate thieves. Even though I know a lot of thieves, I know a lot of. It's a little, it's Proven a little thieves. Uh, it was, uh, I, was th I was thinking, so so like drink, I, I can't stand thieves, people that are drinking and everything else. But uh, I grew up in a, a religious household, religious household. My grandfather's a minister. Everybody else is pretty much ministers. So it's just like that that path of you finding your way. Yeah. Because like it's in me. So then when I started getting older, I was like, oh, wow. So now I started, the Bible started coming alive to me. So then I realized, I was like, man, I can't be freaking drinking and freaking, I can, but I mean, it's just like, I I didn't have any taste for it. Okay. No taste for it. Uh, I don't like cursing. I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I curse. And I was like, I don't want to be those comics that curse a lot because that's every, I'm still, I don't think I'm not a clean, I'm not a clean comic at all <laughs> from any of my standards. But I was like, cursing is not because I'm around children all day and they repeat everything you say. Yeah. And I was like, I can find a very word specific to not curse. So... I know a lot of people that's. I know a lot of people of the faith that probably curse like animals, so I'm not gonna say it's a religious thing. Which is like me personally, I just chose not yeah. to curse, to to have it like that, and then drinking, swearing, anything else. So I try to be on a path. I'm not on the best path, but I try to go as close as I can. That's interesting. Well, that's something I want to bring up before, like as we start to wrap things up, is like this. You're a kindergarten teacher, and I noticed that I was reading your bio for Scar Comedy, and it talks about you being a kindergarten teacher during the day. What's that like? 
Because are you in a situation now where, I mean, eventually it's going to happen pretty quick here where kids are going to be able to YouTube you. Right. All this stuff like that. And you do keep it clean, but you don't keep it clean. You know what I'm You may not say anything like that, though, but I've heard a lot of them where right. it's like. But what are, what are five-year-olds doing looking for me? Well, I mean, they're kids. I, they I don't never, that's the thing about little kids that won't check. They don't think like that. They don't think, I'm going to go look to look for Mr. Waters. But this happened actually this year. Some third grader was all like, hey, I found you on YouTube. I was like, oh, shoot. And he goes, yeah, you pee in the toilet seats. That's what you do. You pee in the sink. You pee in the sink. Pink, pink. And I was like, I need to block all this stuff. Oh, but damn. it was just like, it's, eventually you can't hide. The Bible says, like, the, eventually he goes, uh, yeah, they're going to know you by the fruits that you bear. So eventually people are going to know. Yeah. I'm not actively hiding it. But at the same time, it's just like, everybody has a life, yeah. you know? And my stuff is, it's not as blue, but it's, but it's kind of blue. Yeah. After the, the kindergarten stuff is just to get you to like me as a person. Yeah. So once they realize, oh, he's safe, I trust him. And then after that, it's just like, Oh, wow, these are his real opinions. Oh, wow, this is how he feels about life. Oh, whoa, this is whoa. But it's just like, I got you on my side. Pretty much like teaching kindergarten. The first 21 days is about you establishing yourself, rules, procedures, getting them to like you. Then after that, once you crank up the whip, it's just like, oh, okay. Well, you think it's because you're like also a bigger guy in stature too, and you're like yeah. a wrestling background? like. And it's a beard. When I didn't have a beard, nobody respected me as a teacher. No, really? No one. Little Parents shits. Didn't, didn't care what I said, anything else. So when I got my beard, it was like a little pencil line. But as soon as it got really big, that's when parents were like, how long have you been teaching? Like 11 years? Wow. Then it was like my second year teaching. I was like, yep, I put 11 in. <laughs> and uh, what I can say is this. So now it's just, I think it's just, it reminds me a lot like a, like a freaking, like a, like, like, a, like a show. Eventually you have a blank canvas. Yeah. At the end of your set, you have to paint something. Yeah. And I feel like it's easier to paint when the canvas is blank than having paint all over it already. So it's harder to be a fifth grade teacher because you're dealing with all the mistakes from another teacher. Yeah. But for me, I'm starting from the bottom and they all reflect my personality. That's interesting. They can tell mama jokes. I got freaking, I know a kindergarten that can rap all the rapper's delight, Damn. word for word, back to back. And it was just like, it was just like the school I taught at was closing down. The first year I was teaching was closing down. So the principal was just like, we don't have that many curriculums, so just figure it out. And I was like, yeah, all right, F it. So I just went to the first grade teacher, like, what do they need to learn? And I just found a way, and I just found my, I just taught all, just handwritten everything else the first year of kindergarten. That takes, like, a, a, a huge amount of caring. I think I, 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 I had the most humbling experience in my life. My father made me work at Burger King in the Netherlands, and I was like, man, this is freaking crazy to work at Burger King. Worked at Burger King, didn't like it, sweating everything else. And he was just like, he did that before I went to college. Okay. And then after I graduated college, I worked at Disney World. And um, they had this place called Disney Jail. So if you do something bad, they, they ask you, <laughs> it's a Disney Jail. So on your application, they ask you, what do you not want to do? And what do you really want to do? Okay. So whatever you don't want to do, they have that in your file. And if anything happens, they put you, if they're not going to fire you immediately because it's like, They'll put you in this jail to see if you can rise out of it. Okay. So I got I was like in charge of like boats and stuff like that. So I like tie up the boats and everything else. But as my training, I was like, hey man, I don't think I'm tying these boats right. And they're like, don't worry, you'll figure it out. So I'm like trying to tie it, and like all of a sudden I'm on this boat with this other kid, and the boat is slowly drifting away. Not like if you know boats, you know it's drifting away. But everyone yeah. else just thought the boat was really rocky. Yeah. So I was like, hey man, uh, I was like, I just tied the boat up. I didn't tie it tight enough. So when I went back, I told him. He went back and told, like, the boss and turned the general manager. Wow. And 
So then the next Monday they brought me in the office, but I thought it was like, oh, this must, I thought it was because me and this chick were talking about something else. So I was like, oh, if it's sexual harassment, I'm out of here. This <laughs> over. I, I'm freaking done. I'm freaking done the stuff we're talking about. So then they're asking me about the boat, and I was like, yeah, I, I didn't tie it up. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, that was it. I told them about it, and they're just like, do you want to tell on anyone else? Or tell? I was like, no. So Disney is like, it's a very competitive company, so everyone's tearing each other down. Wow. Everyone is because the money's not that great and tearing things down. But me, I was like, I'm just doing it because it's after college, figuring my life out. But at the time, I wasn't ready to freaking yeah. have the backup plan. So I was like, I told him what happened. So he goes, well, give me your card. So they take your card. The card, you get to all the parks. I was like, all right, you take it. And he goes, we'll call you back if something happens. But you're on probation. We're going to have a trial and see what happens. Disney has a trial for a employees? Trial. So they brought me in. They made me write a statement about everything else. So I wrote a statement. And then at the end of the statement, I choked. Instead of like taking shots at people, I just gave the history of the park. I was just like, you know, Disney started out with mistakes. So you can't penalize a man for making a mistake. I said, the first time Disney opened, cement wasn't dry, bathrooms weren't working. So I was like, yeah, you make mistakes, but you grow from it. So they go, oh, we respect what you wrote, but we're going to put you in another place. And they put me in Cosmic Rays. It's like the busiest restaurant in the world wow. in Magic Kingdom. And they know I hate food. And then it's just like that. And I was just remember sitting back there. I was like, Whatever the worst circumstances I have, I can find a way to make it better. So like everything I never wanted to do, like I remember getting to Disney World, sitting with my friend, I was like, I'll never freaking work at this place. They work like freaking animals. Look at them cleaning food and wiping desks off. And then after I said that, he comes up to me and goes, you remember what you said, you'll never work here? So like I worked with all these, like it was perfect because like when I worked at the boats, I was getting off work at four o'clock in the morning. So I wasn't really meeting any girls. But when I started working at Cosmic Grace, that's where all the pretty chicks worked at. And I was yeah. like, yeah, this is where I need to be. That's funny. So I pretended I was Haitian for like five months because I worked with all these Haitians. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, you're Haitian, right? I was like, yeah, yeah. And after I told them I was Haitian, they like start bringing me food and start everything Damn. else. And they are teaching me about like, they're just like, if you just do the work, you'll find time to play. You'll find time to make it fun. So like I'm freaking sweating everything else. It's freaking, you have to take this freaking 90 pounds of food in a basket and wheel it all the way up to the front of Magic Kingdom and dump it off. And there's nothing but wild raccoons running back there freely. And these raccoons have been fed for 30 years from this food. So they're walking up like people like, oh, what's up, man? And they're opening it with their thumbs. <laughs> Y'all got chicken today? No, I'm going to put that down. Let me wait for the barbecue. So I did that and I realized, I was like, all right, I can do freaking anything. Yeah. So then when I started teaching, because I was like, I started, Disney had a school open. They, I was teaching there. They opened the school and I started teaching there. And then this teacher, I went to a job fair. My dad's like, you just because you're freaking teaching. That's the thing you went to school for. Yeah. So I was like, always trying to drop out of school. I was like, I have to teach. Let's do stand up. That's what I want to do, freaking comedy. Like, you're not going to New York at all. Freaking get your degree first before anything happens. So I get it. So I start teaching kindergarten because I told her, I was like, I never want to teach kindergarten because I did one of my interns here. And these kids are so mean to me. And I was like, F these kindergartners. I'll never freaking do it. <laughs> And then she goes, the only job I have is kindergarten. I was like, what about second grade? She goes, have you taught second grade? I was like, no. And uh, she's like, I think you'll be good at kindergarten. So then I got there and I realized, I was like, I'm going to just talk to them like adults. Yeah. And just teach them. So all of them are like really tough. All the kids are like tough. I was like, are you a man? Yeah, I'm a man. I said, like, then man up then. And so I was like, man up. And all the other kids started learning. So I was like, instead of me just teaching them the little things, I'm just going to assume you already learned it. And I've, I, I taught it like, I watched that like blackfish, like the whales in the tank when like new fish, when new whales come, they don't break the whale in. 
the trainers don't, the other whales do. Yeah. So I would position the class just making my high groups, and I would put a low student in the high groups, and he would want to learn because everyone else knows what's going on. And he'd rise to the occasion. And he'd rise up. I had kids that never spoke any English, and I was like, we got to find a way to do it. So I was like, I don't know. So we just, I was like, well, we're going to learn. So I would have the Spanish app, and I was taught her how to count and everything else. And I just figured, I was like, I just found a way to get to the point. So to find a way to get to the end. Then I just started getting good at it, and I was like, oh, wow, I got it. Oh, wow, I can manage a classroom. This seems easy. But it was hard in the beginning because I had another teacher with me, and, like, she, was my, she wasn't even my co-teacher. She was just, like, supposed to be, like, my deckhand. Yeah. And, like, as we're meeting, she told, like, the principal, like, you guys will be co-teachers. And I was like, no, there's no co-teachers. I'm the boss. But, like, in front of all the parents, she announces herself as a teacher. Wow. It's just talking all over me. So I'm just like, F it, you can talk. I don't care. So all the parents just think I'm this deckhand. So they're like, oh, he's the teacher. The guy is. You don't say anything. You're so quiet. And I was just like, yeah. I just feel like, I was like you'll figure out what's going to happen. Like if someone wants to just take over a conversation, I'll let them do it because that's where they're going. So when I taught in New York City, like I moved out here, packed up everything else, just left. Like it was crazy when I left Tampa, Florida, because when I left, I left, wrote this long letter about like pursuing things. Yeah. And after I left. My co-teacher, the lady I work with, she goes, hey, I, you inspired me. I just quit. <laughs> Holy shit, where'd she end up? Uh, she went to another school. Because I was telling her, I was like, you got to do what's right for you. Don't, don't, uh, I tell the story about um, uh, this Bible story about David and Goliath, right? And the Bible, you ever heard that story? I know you've heard it. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I couldn't, you couldn't quote me on the particulars. I mean, I understand that it's a fight. You want to <laughs> tell me right now? So the story is, is very, you pretty much story. The story is like David had to fight Goliath. Yes. But he brought three stones. He brought five stones to the fight. Okay. I think three to five stones to the fight. But my question is, why did he bring five stones when he killed him with one? Damn. Right? That's my question. Like, why would he do that okay. if he knew he was going to kill him with one? Yeah. So I was like doing it, and the reason why he brought all these stones because after he was going to kill Goliath, he was prepared to kill every other giant there because there was more. So like after he killed Goliath, he didn't have to because other people got inspired and started slaying giants. So I said, you know, whatever happens in my life, maybe my life is to go over here and try to slay another giant. But maybe other people will get inspired and start slaying giants and everything else. So I said that. Then I went back this past, you know, do some shows. And I was talking to the principal. And I was just like, so she goes, you know, I don't think I'll be here that long. And I was like, I was like, you got to do what makes you happy. She's like, I'm going to minister and everything else. And then, then she quits. Like, the, like she quits. Like a, she just leaves. She's been teaching there for 10 years and just leaves. And pursues everything else. What? So sometimes I think that it's like a, I was like, I can't, like the last year I was in Florida, I was like, I can't keep telling these kindergarten kids to do what you want and I'm not doing yeah. what I want full time. At the highest level. Yeah. Like in Tampa, it was good. So I, I prayed. I was like, God, I want you to leave me like a baby. Make it plain and white that I should leave. So I was like, maybe I could just do this. And to the point, I was like, they made it to the point where I couldn't come back. So I just left. I left. I didn't have any connections in New York. Drove my car. Went to Atlanta. Uh, did a comedy club, went up there, went to North Carolina, talked to my family. So I'm sitting there, roommate, everything situated, just happened. God willing, my brother's girlfriend's friend was moving, and her boyfriend, and I was like, can I, they're like, you should just come in with us. And I was like, all right, cool. So I had a place, then I was like, just for a week, I was trying to learn. I was like, why does everyone keep moving their cars to the side? I was like, oh, it's alternate parking. So I found a place to park, so I just started putting out job applications, yeah. and I just wanted to be... I just wanted to be like a deckhand. I didn't want to be in the classroom. I just want to be on the side, yeah. focus on stand-up the whole time. But every time they saw my resume, they're like, no, we want you in the classroom. I was like, no, I don't want to be in the classroom. Uh, yeah. So then 
school in Brooklyn called me. He's like, well, you should got to live in Harlem. She's like, come to Brooklyn and do it. So we go to the interview. They called me. We did a phone interview. And she goes, oh, my God, you're amazing. You're great. Can you come in for the final interview? I was like, all right, cool. So when I get to the final interview, there's four other people there. And I was like, I wonder what these people are doing here because they're waiting with me. And she goes, actually, uh, they're going to interview with you because uh, there's uh. one slot open, but four other people will get it. So it was me and three other girls. And it was like, oh, my God, we hope one of us gets it. Oh, my God, this is, oh, I, can't, I can't believe we're doing like this. And it's my turn. I have a soft voice. And i like, what do you think, Jared? I said, this is the Hunger Games. <laughs> and only one will survive. <laughs> so the whole time, they're just very freaked. I was joking. But it, like, they put you in situ- scenarios that all these kids just got out of college. They got their masters and everything else. But they've never been in the classroom. So they don't know how to deal with people. Yeah. So I tell people all the time, even though you're a teacher, you're still a person. You have to treat people like people. Yeah. So they had situations where, like, this is a disgruntled teacher. You have to confront the disgruntled teacher and tell her how you feel. And I had it, and I was just like, no. I was like, you're still a person. I was like, yeah, you have more experience than me. Why don't I just learn from you? And they're like, Jerry, you're the only one that talked about learning from somebody. Then you had a situation where some girl taught a lesson, and she puts it on a DVD, and you have to critique her lesson in front of her. That's some crazy stuff, right? Dude, that's like managerial that's, work. That's, Why does that do with being a teacher? I know. That's, that's, that's so crazy. You're going to tell someone that's been teaching a long time yeah. what they did wrong in their lesson. So you watch it for 30 minutes, and you go in with the person. So all these girls are just freaking telling them what they're doing wrong and everything else in front of the girl. And I was like, in the girls interviewing to see, they do 12 teachers interviewing you because they're trying to see how you fit within their staff. Yeah. So they come to me, and she goes, what do you think I did wrong? And I was like, what time did you teach the lesson? She said, it happened in the morning. I was like, well, you know, the morning's kind of different. You know, I'd rather see you teach it at 12 o'clock and see if it's different. She said, what do you think I can do better? I was like, I don't know. I was like, you teach second grade. I've taught kindergarten. I was like, who am I to tell you what you can do right or do wrong? I was like, you could probably tell me more about second grade than I can. I was like, but if this was a kindergarten class, I would tell you this. So all the ladies are like, oh, my God, this guy is super nice. Wow, he fits in everything else. So I was just thinking, I was like, man, Brooklyn is so far. F this, man. This is so far. I don't know if I can just go all the way out here every single day. So I was just praying. I was like, man, I hope something happens. And then all of a sudden, this school in Harlem hits me up. It's like, hey, can you come in? Go to the interview, and like, could you start tomorrow? What? And they, they called me back for the other one. I was like, man. I When people like tell me in the city, I was like, I'm probably the happiest person. I have nothing to complain about. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I literally got here in two weeks, and all of a sudden, job is there. Only difference is now I work with someone with me. So that was the hardest thing was adjusting to someone because the job that was open was second grade. Okay. And I told them I had no experience. But they're like, all right, don't worry about it. So the second day of school is when I started. So when I got there, I'm thinking I'm teaching second grade, and they moved the teacher out of her grade and put her in second grade and gave me that classroom. Damn. So they gave me, they gave me the classroom. So it sucks for her because, you know, she's having a tough time. Yeah. But the person that she worked with, they spent the whole summer developing a friendship oh, about shit. how to work with each other. And now it's just intermixed. And so now, now it's me. So How's that relationship going so far? Uh, it, was, it was tough in the beginning because yeah. she was setting her ways and everything else. And I have all this experience, and I was just like, I was like, I'm just going to be quiet and let her do whatever. So yeah. I just let her lead. And I was like, with one has to be the good cop, one has to be the bad cop. Yeah. I was like, you be the bad cop since you like being the bad cop. So eventually, I just let her do whatever she wants until she realized she needed my help. And she's like, oh, can you help me? Two emails, can you help me do that? Until I was like, yeah, well, now we're a team now. Oh. So it's like when you're working with women, sometimes you have to just humble yourself and not say anything. Yeah. And pretend like you don't know nothing. So they feel like they're nurturing and they're growing you. But I was like, I could do laps around these people. 
well not these people this specific person yeah so then we became really good and then like the second day i met her i was like this chick is like really pudgy but she's real skinny and pudgy and then the third day she's like do you know i'm pregnant i said yeah i had a hunch but i didn't want to make a guess or anything so by the time we got together and developed a friendship the day before our field trip she had a baby so she's gone so i got a new teacher wow it's like so, a lot of changing the guard of the teacher game huh right but i mean she had a baby so i got a new one and i was just like I've been in every scenario before, so nothing's yeah. going to sway me. And I think that's probably why you're good at what you do comedy-wise, too. It's like you've had hard jobs before. A lot of people have it in this. Like, that's why I was like, how do you know? I'm like, how do you know you want to do this rest of your life? I was like, because I've had shitty jobs. Like, thank, like thankless, shitty jobs. And, and I think that the, 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 the teaching thing gives me something to talk about and relate to a crowd about. Yeah. Working and doing something like that. Like I never talked about teaching until like this past like two and a half years and I was like, dang, it's like ten minutes or eleven minutes on teaching. I was like, Oh, that's what makes me likable. Everything else. And it's like like I don't hate teaching. You know, I just I realize I'm good at it. Does that make sense? Like yeah, I realize absolutely. I'm good at it and it gives me it takes me away not away from stand up, but it gives me perspective on life. Yeah. Because I'm dealing with real people every day, real situations and everything else. So I God bless the people that just sit home all day and just get up and hit the mics and do oh, that's has, that has to be a lot. Because you're always just fishing for jokes and fishing for everything else. <laughs> but sometimes these jokes these situations fall to me. Yeah, you can't. If you're a writer's spot, you gotta live a little. Like that's the thing. And if you're doing this, I, I mean, there's people that do it, but that's that's also put a lot of pressure on yourself to not have a job or any day life or friends outside of comedy and then have nothing and then go to your 6 p.m. creek mic and start your day. Like <laughs> it's 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 really tough. And I guess it's just for me. I was just like I, cause I was talking. I was like, what? Are you? It's like, Jerry, why are you? Cause I sing in the morning. And they're like, you're just so happy when you're here at work. Why are you so happy? I was like, man, I'm just freaking. God's blessed me. I have nothing to complain about. What what can I complain about? I could be. Yeah, it could be funny. I could get in more. I want to get in more clubs. I want to do everything else. But I was like, I can't complain about what I have. Yeah. You know, so that's the way I live my life. I was like, anyway, I'm blessed. I'll be satisfied. So like last night when I was in Long Island, they're just like, like Thursday night. He's like, what are you doing here, Jerry? Like, I just, I like watching comedy, man. Yeah. They're like what? I was like, yeah, I just love it, man. F it. You know what I mean? I'll just sit and watch a show. Who cares how long I have to drive out there? So my thing is, it's like, However I feel, you got to treat a person like a person. Yeah. And then when you get respect and you get everything else, you have more perspective, like on life. Because uh, my philosophies are very, very, you've seen some of my stuff. My philosophies are very out there, what I think about life and how I view it. But I'm just like, when you have something and you're, you're not even if you're blessed with something, let's freaking keep it and be appreciative yeah. of where and you are. If you don't, if you're not sick, if you're not you freaking at both your legs and both your arms, like freaking... Be and happy. I, and your good nature centers you, so you can be out there, but you get away with it. From what I've seen, wise bit wise, is like because they know, they trust you. You trust. You're believable. I think I've developed the skill of charming people. That's a good one to have. When you can charm a person, they'll let you get away with certain jokes. Because Murder it seems. Oh, it yeah. seems so friendly. It seems yeah. so likable. Wow. Yeah. Oh wow. And then they're like, oh whoa whoa. But they're like, but we but but we like them. But this guy, yeah. It's a. Uh, I noticed too, like watching clips of myself. It's all about how you say something. It's like, you know, so much of, of communication is nonverbal. And so you can get away with a lot more if you're absolutely adamant about it. Like you believe it when you're up there. Uh, but if you're passive and almost ask permission, permission on something that's like, you know, maybe unforgivable, like, uh, you know, you're, like, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to eat shit for sure, at least me with my dynamic. I've learned to accept everything. Accept everything regardless if someone's negative towards me of anything else. I've learned to accept it because 
I need to accept it. Yeah. I'm not going to accept anyone disrespect me, but I'm going to accept whatever comes to me in life. Accept it and just keep moving forward. I don't think there's a better place to end than on that. Yeah. What's going on uh, this week? Because this comes out tomorrow morning. What, what you got schedule-wise? Fire up that All schedule. Right, here we go. So the 12th, I'll be at Gaff West Bar in Hell's Kitchen for the Gaff West Comedy Festival. Matthew Arzak. I'll be there. Uh, 8 o'clock. Then, oh, I'll be at Church Friday. <laughs> <laughs> church Friday. Uh, Sunday. Sunday? You have church on Sunday? No, Sunday. No, no, I got a show Sunday. 22nd, no, the 21st, I'll be featuring at uh, in Long Island, the Brokerage Comedy Club on the 21st. Then the 23rd is my actual anniversary. Uh, I have a show with my main man, Paul on 103rd in Amsterdam at 8 o'clock. Paul Jumius? Is that how you pronounce no, it? No, 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 Paul Jumius. Oh. He's in freaking, I don't know where, but I think Paul is in, he's in, he's in freaking, he's in Denver right now. Okay. Greenwich Comedy Club, I'll be there the, 20, the 19th, then the 20th, I'll be back at Governor's Comedy Club in Levittown. And I'm going to post all these dates on your links there, which I'll get from you directly. 28th, 29th. I'll be a good. April's a good month for me. There April's really. I love it. You got the making dates me, Making me feel good. Where can they find you on social media? Are you an Instagram, Twitter guy? Find me at Dutch Blackfoot. Dutch Blackfoot. All one word. Uh, Twitter. Same thing. And uh, to everyone on your podcast world, I pray that everything goes well. And you guys have a great day, great night. And uh, I really think that. Shaquille O'Neal is one of the best basketball players in the world. So feel free to debate me on Twitter if you want to. If not, uh, just suck it easy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're out of here. Thanks for listening, Jared. Thanks for coming through. Appreciate it. No problem, man. And uh, look for all the dates. Uh, I'll post everything on the bio tomorrow morning. And dates on there for me. Albany, I'm headlining uh, this big-ass festival, craft festival. I have no idea. Craft Uh, is in like... Craft beer festival. Crazy. Two shows, half hour piece. Super excited. Really fun, though. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Bye. Max White, everyone. See something funny. It wasn't funny! I guess I'll just call it Max White Presents. I guess it's decent. Yeah, Max White Presents will work.